Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of Mentally Sound right here at Gravity Radio North East. This is show 9 I believe, isn't it Soph? Yes it is, yeah. Oh, hello Sophie, welcome, welcome everybody to the hilarity and the mentally soundness of <laughs> the Mentally Sound Radio Show. My name's Stephen Hesse, obviously thank you so much for tuning in. We have a massively great show, but the first thing I should say, just for the benefit of myself, is this is the first day that I'm 28, Sophie. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. Yes. I don't know about you, right? Well, I just want to say quickly, just a sweeping comment about birthdays is, I don't know whether anyone else feels this way about about birthdays, but I kind of, which is appropriate for a mentally sound show, is I get real apprehension and depression about a week leading up to it, like the whole week leading up to my birthday. Once my birthday comes, have a really good time. So I'm wondering if it's like the birthday like equivalent of seasonal depression <laughs> that I just get really bad depression leading up to my birthday. I don't know. Do you what do you like for what you like with your birthdays usually? Um to be honest I'm quite excited when May comes because my birthday is in the beginning ish of May. Uh-huh. So I'm quite excited. Uh night before I'm a little bit nervous but mm-hmm. then on the day i'm kind of like oh well it's kind of any other day to me now mm-hmm. i think i've got to that age where i'm 21 it doesn't there's no novelty about it anymore i'm not getting i'm not waking up and going to get like, big just massive gareth laughing gareth laughing in the background because we're like i'm 28 and gareth's like i'm just gonna shut up about my age right now uh, at least he's like going 21 going i'm uh, my life's over <laughs> It's all good. So, can you do you want to say when you are you allowed? Are you willing to say when your birthday is? When is your birthday? Uh, so my birthday is May the ninth. Ooh, nice. Not after, not long after May the fourth. Be with you. Exactly. Are you a Star Wars fan? Um, to be honest, no. But I am willing to go and see the new <laughs> Star Wars film. Oh, are you willing, great? Yep. Um, I actually have a stepsister that her birthday is on May the fourth. So we nice. kind of make the joke about oh, that God, as I well bet as she's, her birthday. Is she a Star Wars fan? She is indeed. So Brilliant. she absolutely loves her birthday as Fantastic. well as it being Star Wars Day. That's well. really cool. Um, I bet that, that I would be over the moon if that was what my birthday was on. I'd be like, okay, as an excuse. I have to say, um, I came back from London recently as well because we did. A, I did a, a, a podcast. That I, I know it's a shameless plug, but we did. A, I did a podcast for MCM London, mm-hmm. um, and I recommend people go to Geekpocalypse and check that out. And the reason I bring this up is because um, when we were in Leicester Square the day before, me and Wayne, who who helps with the show, I'm sure you've met. I think you've, you've met Wayne, haven't you? Yes, yeah? I have. Yes. Um, he, uh, we saw a big giant sign for Star Wars at the Audion Leicester Square, mm-hmm. and it was giant one. And it's the first time in a while I've thought about a film that's not coming out for another three months or something, uh, or two months or whatever the time was at the time, and I'm going. I want to see it now. <laughs> I yeah. want to see it now. I actually like got the buzz for it, which I usually don't for films, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, um, I know tickets have sold out already for yeah. many of the cinemas, and uh-huh. it's not coming out for a while. Yet. I know, yeah, th- that's what they were announcing. They were announcing it when we were there. It was the day the tickets went on sale, and yeah, I, I read on the internet the day later that they were almost sold out, pretty much in all the the theaters. And I was thinking, God, the, the expectation for this film. Do you reckon? Do you reckon it will make over a billion dollars? I reckon it will. You know, like most yeah. films, most, like Iron Man and stuff are the only, and I think Avengers are the only ones recently they've made over, but I think this will make a, over a billion. Yeah, easily. I think it's going to smash a few um, box offices, yeah. definitely. Do you think it'll be Avatar? I think Avatar's the the highest one. Yeah, I think Avatar's the highest one. To be mm. honest, I hope it does smash yeah. it, because you know, I think you the fan, younger, gen- younger generation, like yeah. myself, we haven't really grown up with Star Wars. True. So I think it's going to introduce people to a... a 
it's going to introduce Star Wars to another generation, mm-hmm. which is hopefully going to carry it on. And hopefully they don't ruin it. <laughs> I don't think they will because JJ is a JJ is a, a fan, so I, I don't think he will. Are you apprehensive at all? Because I know there's obviously people are divided. Is it going to be good? What, what do you reckon? Um, well, I haven't watched Star Wars before. Hoping to really? do that soon. Hoping to do that soon. Um, I'm just going to go in with an open mind. Cool. So have you ever thought about watching the old ones? Because you should be on I've Never Seen Star Wars. There's a series called that where... Because it's quite rare for someone to meet meet someone who hasn't watched Star Wars before. Um, Um, I know know a few of them are are, online now (laughs) that you can watch. Yes. So I'm going to kind of go ahead and do that and then again go in with an open mind. Because even if you've got series like The Avengers, you can't really watch the first one or the second one and then go, oh, well... The third one's going to be exactly the same. Yeah, you've got to kind of going in with an open mind. Yeah, I'd, I, even as someone who's seen all six that have been out so far, I'm I've I'm definitely got an open mind with it. I think. Let's see what he does. And with JJ being a fan, I'm not. I, 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 the trailer blew like blew me away. I was I was one of these people who was just like, I just want to see it now. Like, and I think it's going to be good. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So we've got loads to talk about. We're going to talk to Sophie Ferrout, who's our co-host for this show. Thank you, Sophie, for doing this. Much no appreciated. Uh, so, but the first thing we're going to do is do our first pre-recorded segment. This is with Richard Ingram, who is the creator of Mad Studies. So Victoria. Um, uh, interviews Richard about what Mad Studies is, how he came up with the term, and a bunch of other things in relation to Mad Studies. So this is uh, Richard Ingram's interview with Victoria, and you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity Radio Northeast. Hello, this is Victoria with Mentally Sound on Gravity Radio Northeast. I'm interviewing Richard Ingram here at the Mad Studies Conference at Durham University, and I would like to start by first asking you, Richard, please could you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work? Sure. Well, I was born here in the UK and studied at Manchester, a couple of other universities, before uh, taking off uh, Canada, where I got my PhD. Um, I then worked at um, Ryerson University in the School of Disability Studies. Okay, thank you very much. And um, I believe that it is you that coined the term MAD Studies. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, I'm credited with having uh, coined that term. It was in the spring of 2008 that I was thinking about some of the limitations of disability studies and wanted to um, pursue a different type of study which didn't seem possible within the bounds of disability studies. So taking inspiration from deaf studies, it seemed natural to look towards a future in which there would be mad studies as a separate discipline. Okay, thank you. And prior to the work that you did on mad studies, was there much of a a history in that field of study that you had to build on and, and work with? Right, well, there has been the study of Madness, writings of histories of madness and writing by people who identify as mad for a long time. But uh, what makes a difference is to capitalise the, the word mad, as the mad movement has done, and to do that with mad studies makes a difference, a, a small change to, to what has existed. So it's not that the introduction of the term um, produced something 
new at that moment. It just had an effect, a transformative effect, I think, on what had already existed and opened um, pathways to different futures. Thank you. Um, I mean, certainly one of the things they have covered at the conference has been the power and the impact that simply branding and, and naming the study of madness, mad studies, can actually have. That that term has such punch and has such power and almost has a, a spirit of energy and, and revolution to it so uh, I want to thank you for that but um, let's look at the future now so could you tell me a little bit about where you feel Mad Studies is going from here well I think it's an open question as to whether Mad Studies will become an academic discipline it is taking place in Mad Studies reading groups outside the university so um, it's already happening there and it's happening in in certain departments within the university, but as far as I'm aware, there's no Department of Mad Studies anywhere in the world. It is important, therefore, to look towards whether that will happen, whether there will be Departments of Mad Studies, and to ask questions about what we want a future Department of Mad Studies to look like. So perhaps what you're saying is in the future that it might be an individual uh, subject that can be studied at university in its own right with its own department rather than simply as a a unit as part of, say, a social work course. Well, I would hope so. I would hope that that would lead to more people who identify as MAD or similar terms being able to study and work in, in the field. Um, Just for the sake of our listeners, could I just ask you to clarify um, what the difference between MAD studies and, say, the study of psychology or sociology is, just so it's really clear that obviously it is a subject in its own right, but just so they can sort of see where that difference lies? Well, what the MAD movement has done, or MAD movements, is to have spoken back to Um, psychiatry, psychology and other mental health disciplines and professions and that's what uh, MAD Studies is is continuing or potentially continuing um, in an academic context. Thank you very much and just finally, so what do you feel the value is, if any, in MAD Studies? Well, this is a question that uh, many people at this conference are providing different answers to and not everyone I think is happy with mad studies in the way that it's taking shape and that's important, it's important to acknowledge that, it's important to acknowledge, recognise the differences that exist uh, and to give room for dissent Uh, Mad studies is a relatively new subject Obviously, in comparison, when you look at the more traditional subjects like history or English, psychology, even sociology. Um, But it is exciting to sort of be here at this conference today and see it taking shape, see the various academics and uh, the various professionals sharing their view on where they see it going, on where they see it uh, developing and growing to. Um, Just finally, for our listeners, if anyone is interested in MAD studies, are there any particular books that you would recommend or websites if they were to want to know more about Mad Studies or even your work? Well, for people who use social media, I'd recommend on Facebook there's a Mad Studies page and 
on Twitter. There is also a Mad Studies feed. Two books that I've mentioned are Mad Matters, which is a collection of writings by um, academics based in Canada, and then Disability Incarcerated, which is published uh, in the US and covers writings by and about um, the US and Canada. Right, well, um, Richard Ingram, I would like to thank you very much. I would like to thank the organisers of the conference here at Durham University. Uh, my name's Victoria, and I'm with Mentally Sound on Gravity Radio Northeast. And thank you very much for your time, Richard. I love that song. Uh, that was Dead Man Fall with Bang Your Drum. I absolutely adore that song. Um, I highly recommend people check out their stuff. Um, they are on um, YouTube and on iTunes. Uh, Steadman Fall with uh, Bang Your Drum. How I found out about them guys was um, they were mentioned in Craig Ferguson's radio show. It was actually um, talk show, I should say. It was the last show he did on uh, Amer- American TV before he quit. Well, like he resigned. Well, I don't know actually know what the right word is. He either retired or resigned. One of the two. I gave up. Quit. <laughs> we just do a little bunch of thesaurus stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I do recommend their stuff. Right, we have a guest, Sophie. We have a guest. Are you excited? I am, yes. It's something that I don't know much about, but I'm really, really looking forward to it. I know, yeah. There's a, there's a word we've been trying to pronounce even at the beginning of the show, and we're like, what's going on? But we should, for contextual purposes, say who you are. Uh, Richard, yeah, Richard Kirby, um, who was actually a co-host of the show. Do you remember what show it was? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Yeah, I think it was uh, show six, Steve. Show six, okay. And uh, what, that was, was that part of your challenges to do the radio show? Uh, that actually was one of the challenges, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I was thinking in the reason for that is to mention that you have just finished that recently. You were just telling me during the break. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, uh, I've been um, undertaking challenges on behalf of uh, Mind and Time to Change since uh, January last year. Um, and it's actually tomorrow is the uh, is the very last one. Um, the, the, the actual challenge in question is to, uh, to meet an Olympic gold medalist um, and the lady... Um, who told you? I'm joking. <laughs> the, the, the lady in question is uh, is Anne Packer, who uh, who oh, won right. who won a gold medal in Tokyo in 1964. Um, cool. So I'm driving over to Cheshire um, in the wind and the rain to uh, to, to finish uh, nearly two years worth of uh, of work. So it's been fantastic. tough but very rewarding. Mm-hmm. So what would you say? I know I think we touched on this in in show six when you were co-hosting, but what would you say is the the most challenging one because I think at the time didn't you have a round with a boxer or something wasn't one of I them? did uh, I did yeah. three very short rounds with uh, with a pro <laughs> boxer called uh, Josh Leather um, uh-huh. G- Gisborough based boxer who's uh, who's won all eight professional fights um, I'd like to say he didn't put me down on the on the floor but uh, he hit me an awful lot harder than I expected that's for sure um, how great would it be if Richard had won <laughs> that would have been more like, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah he's doing this and Richard just like hits him with one like, yeah I, did, I didn't even see the punches coming to be yeah. honest um Probably the, the, the most enjoyable and hardest at the same time was actually fairly recently. Um, I drove down to Milton Keynes to, um, to play my farewell game of badminton against Reese Walker, who's, uh, who's uh, England ranked number four. Cool. Um, and uh, it, was, it was brilliant. Strolled out on court and he said, uh, you do realise everybody watching you, uh, every single one is a member of the England squad, at which mm-hmm. point you know, everything started shaking and I wasn't sure whether I was going to be able to swing the racket, let alone hit the shuttlecock. But... Fantastic experience. Um, I've met some great people, and uh, you know it, it's it's been it's been a thoroughly worthwhile thing to do. But I think I, I need a bit of a break, Steve. Now I can imagine, yeah, doing two years. Is there anything you want to ask him about that? Because that's kind of really interesting. Uh, like a whole bunch of challenges he's done. 
to be honest, I'm in awe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just sitting here thinking, I, I find it hard to kind of go to university three days a week <laughs> to, to be able to, to be able to do a challenge for two years. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've is... done 54 over two years, yeah. Wow, that's really, I mean, com, com, um, like, honestly, you know, I was going to say com, commiserations, <laughs> that's the wrong word. Commiserations, I suppose, is, but, but what I, the reason I'm, 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 I'm trying to come up with a word is to ask you, you know, how do you feel now it's over? Because there's, you know, the awe of doing two two years of show uh, of stuff. How do you feel? Are you kind of disappointed it's over? Are you relieved? Or do you feel proud of what you've done as well as a little bit of everything? Yeah, I, I didn't set out to do it for, for any sort of, of, of pride, really, Steve. But, yeah, there is an element that, of, of, of pleasure in, in, in some of the things that have been done. But ultimately, it was all about raising awareness of, of mental health issues, um, something that I hope... To a, to a greater or lesser extent I've been able to do. The fact that I've met some great people along the way and, and had some experiences that, yeah, that I'm not going to forget is, uh, is just an added bonus, really. Fantastic. Definitely. I mean, uh, so anyway, you, you, so congratulations Thank on that. So much. tomorrow, what's your last challenge? It, that's, it's to visit Ann Packer. Yes, so yeah, sorry, uh, I'm really excited about that. She, she's mm -hmm. a bit of a heroine of mine, so really looking forward to it. Excellent. I mean, it would be great if you'd want, like, Chris Hoy. <laughs> I know, like, obviously anyone who's got a gold medal is amazing. would just be like, where you went, oh, I'm going to meet Dame. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, what's, uh, what was that, um, the, the runner? Kelly, Kelly Holmes. Kelly Holmes, yeah. There was that the little quick joke about that. There was actually a person when Kelly Holmes won a double gold medal. It was at which Athens? Should you want? Yeah. It, I think if I memory serves. And there was a there was a I think it was a guy who put a tattoo of of Kelly Holmes on his back, and had Holmes on the top, but left out the L. <laughs> It was just Holmes because her, her name spelled yeah. H O L M E S, whereas he just said it. it they put it as Holmes without the L. Uh, classic uh, tattoo mistakes there, you know. Uh, anyway, we got a bunch to talk about. Richard's not just here to talk about his challenges, but congratulations. Thank on you that. very much. You're here to talk about dysthymia, which I'm, which we were joking, weren't we, so before yes, the show? Yeah, we, we didn't know how to say it. Yeah, is it right? I mean, and the joke I did was with every dis. Like, I don't want to diss this particular word, but. Uh, um, do you want to explain to us what that is and why you're talking about it? Yeah, um, it's it's actually a condition, um, and I'm going to go with your pronunciation, Steve, because I'm about I don't have much idea either. I'm dyslexic, but, and I'm glad <laughs> I came up with something. Uh. <laughs> it, it's a, a condition that um, is is relatively unknown, um, but something I've actually had for the best part of my whole life. So um, I'm 51 now, so I've probably had it for 40 years. Looking back, and what it actually is. Is a, it's a form of chronic depression, um, it's, but it's, it's fairly mild and potentially intermittent, but something that exists over many years. Um, but its its nature is that uh, you, you might not even realise that you've got it because uh -huh. um, it's, it's part of you. The, it, the, the negative feelings that, that you have are related to depression, but they're just not as strong. Mm -hmm. um, so you can go for years and years and years feeling flat every morning, you know, having sort of anxiety moments, but, but not anything strong enough that you would ever consider going to a doctor because you don't actually feel ill. All you feel is the same as you've always felt. Mm -hmm. um, the, what's interesting and, and the reason that, uh, that um, people would go to a doctor is if you have a, an episode or a traumatic event in their life um, or another illness that actually triggers what you and I would class as more mm -hmm. um, classic depression symptoms. Yeah. That's what sends you to the GP. Um, they diagnose those particular uh, sets of symptoms, and, but it's actually called double depression. It's actually an episode on top of an existing condition. Okay. Um, 
the um, second episode of, of depression gets treated and you might get your, uh, you know, your medication or your, or your CBT or, or whatever it takes to, to, to clear that. But actually the underlying condition that you've had all the way along isn't treated because it's not recognized. Really? So it's, okay. uh, it's, uh, it's, a, a, it's a really interesting subject that, uh, that, that I'm, I'm pleased to be able to talk about because, uh, you know, for, for one of the classic symptoms is that you actually feel when you're diagnosed with depression as a label, you actually feel a bit of a fraud because um, you don't feel ill, you don't feel any different, you, you feel the same all the time. Um, and from my point of view, um, depression was um, a label to me, um, dysthymia is, is actually an identity and something that in a strange sort of way I have an element of pride that I've got and that, a pride that I've, uh, I've coped with it for, mm. for this length of time. Um, and now that to, to be able to sort of pass on a little bit of information that people who, who struggle day in, day out, but not to the extent that it, it, it inhibits their life dramatically, but it just has that negative effect, that, that sort of shroud over your head or, or heavy burden. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's something that uh, there is a name for it. It exists. You're, you're not on your own. Uh, and ultimately, you can actually live a, a completely normal life, just as just as you would without it. But it just means that things are a little bit harder, take a little bit longer to achieve. Mm -hmm. It's it, that's for, uh, there's a couple of powerful points in that, and that's great that you that you described that. Is that it's 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 something that I uh, I feel in relation to I have bipolar disorder. And there's a couple of things that resonated with me when you said that stuff. Is that for example, I have a particular form of bipolar disorder that's that's that the chances of survival, uh, the chances of suicide are very high. Um, it's it's a difficult thing to deal with, and but there's there's something that I think is difficult for someone who doesn't have mental health issues, regardless of what mental health problem it is. Just mm -hmm. I think it's something mental health shares, regardless of what you've got. Is I think people don't realise the per the person that's going through it, even if as you quite rightly say you get a diagnosis, it's not a case of that it's a that it's a that you feel ashamed of it. It's that the the th the powerful point you made is that people. The, 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 even are days when you get diagnosed where you don't feel you're ill and with bipolar disorder the thing that never gets talked about enough which is why I'm open about it is the euphoria you feel with bipolar disorder like I have days it happened to me yesterday I had not a, a massively extreme manic episode like because it, it varies like most things do but it was it's a it's like a drug it's a drug you do not want to get rid of and that's why if you ever watch like you know Secret Life of a Manic Depressive, which Stephen Fry did, majority of people in that documentary wouldn't press a button and get rid of it because the and the problem with bipolar disorder is if um, you can find yourself waiting for them days, and the problem is I can tell you if I look at a year of my life as a as an example, I only probably have one of them days a month. So I'm spending, tw you know, I could get into the mindset of waiting 29 days for one day to feel good, mm. which is a terrible yeah. approach, but. As your point is, you, you know, you don't feel ill uh, and you, you, you have moments during the day. I think people think you feel that way like 100% of the time, whereas ten, you may have 10% of the day where you feel okay and you go, okay, I feel all right. You don't want to. You don't think the ninety percent's worth dealing with because you just think this is what it's always been like, which is such a powerful point you made. I'm just wanting to crowbar in Sophie. Yeah, what did you... What did you think about what he said? Have you learned stuff? Have you, is there anything you want yeah, to... Yeah, definitely. I mean, personally, I've never heard of it before, but um, I think that comes across with a lot of mental health conditions. Um, I think it's quite linked with anxiety, because um, mm -hmm. I have anxiety myself. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest, I can kind of 
relate to it a little bit. Um, I've, I've got members of my family that have been diagnosed with depression clinically. Um, but to be honest, I think the condition that you talked about, I think it kind of creeps into many mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's just underlying, Sophie, and, and that, that's... You know that's the fact that that's why it keeps you know it it gets missed and that's why people don't necessarily know a great deal about it and and you know my my sort of first thought is you know how many other people wake up feeling flat every morning um I don't have that sense of uh, you know that eu- euphoric sense that you get um it's very much a it's, it's a constant with an occasional dip but the constant is manageable um it's yeah. manageable because I've never known any different mm-hmm. um so you don't necessarily get the highs um, but you don't you don't get you don't get the the massive lows either, Steve. Do you think, in relation to that, and this is something I've always wanted to ask people, is do you think that's the reason why people who don't have mental health issues struggle with the idea of you getting out of that? What I mean by that is, I think the the the, the ignorance I, th- I think, or maybe the lack of understanding, comes from the fact that when you feel that way your whole life, which I did with my bipolar disorder, and one of the things when I got diagnosed is you go back and you see the 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 pillars of mm-hmm. how it manifested itself and how it became you know part of my life, um, and you become aware of it. Is that you feel like that all the time? So what annoys me with people who are kind of really not aware of what it's like and you try and tell them is they think that feeling is the thing you need to get over mm-hmm. and you need to get rid of. Whereas I always say to them, you can't, you should never look at it as a fixable thing. Yeah. It, it's a thing that we have to manage forever. And that's the horrible part about mental health is you, that that's something, the first thing I think you need to get over is that this is something you're fighting for the rest of your life. It's a bit like I get so annoyed, you know, if, let's take alcoholism as an example. Um, I saw a really great thing, Craig Ferguson, who we talked on earlier, he did a monologue about alcoholism and he said he gets so offended when you get celebrities going into rehab for 30 days and saying they're cured when they get out. Yeah. Because he's like, they've either not got a problem and they're going to 30 days to kind of get over you know, a slap on the wrist, they've done something wrong, or they're in denial, or they're being, they're trying to get rid of it with money. And he says if everyone can get rid of it through money, celebrities would not have anything wrong with them because they would be able to get rid of it with money, but you can't because it's something you have to deal with for the rest of your life. There's a reason why alcoholics don't go to alcohol ever again because they know mm. they can't do it. You know, yeah. you see my point? So it's just fa- a fascinating thing. There was something you said in relation to um, the, um, what's I'm trying to pronounce it right dysphymia that's mm-hmm. uh, as we, we've decided that's what it's called yeah. um, how you pronounce it is you, you touched on something that I, I want to clear up if I'm right in what you said you said it was kind of a mild version is that am I right in saying that is do you say what and I, I want you to kind of clarify that what do you mean by is, that? if yes I mean the, the symptoms as they stand um, you, you would have um, you'd be clusters you might be habitually uh, gloomy you might feel pessimistic mm-hmm. Um, you certainly will be self-critical and self-reproaching mm-hmm. to, to a certain extent. But what, all I'm trying to say, Steve, is that the, the level of those feelings is probably is not as outwardly obvious as it would be in somebody who had more classic depression sy- symptoms. Okay. So um, what you were saying about um, perception from other people, mm-hmm. somebody with dysthymia would probably, um, maybe 20 years ago, be told just to sort themselves out and get on with it because... If you're not ill, then what's the problem? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, the, the awareness of all various types of, of, of and, me, and various levels of, of mental health um, illness 
mean that there's a, there's a far greater um, perception that there might be something wrong um, because you can't necessarily see it or necessarily understand it doesn't mean that you can't actually take the, take the time to talk and find out what that person feels and actually sort of alter your behavior slightly to, uh, to, to accommodate what they need. Mm -hmm. I've had this conversation with colleagues at work who've been absolutely brilliant and very, very supportive, even though bad episodes occur so, so infrequently. Um, they know that if, if I have a quiet day, they'll just pop over, ask if I'm okay, and that's all they need to do. Mm -hmm. um, the fact is that there it's are... It's amazing how consideration helps. Do you, yeah. do you agree with that? Yeah. I but really do. Now there's an awareness, yeah. and, and, and the, they've taken the time to understand um, that I am what I am, and I do my job and, and get on well with absolutely everybody. But it's, it's, other people will have similar things that, you know, that, that not necessarily blight their life, but certainly have an effect on their life. And if they want to talk about them, then people will take a bit of time and, and, and actually understand them and, and, and relationships improve as a result. Do you think, I'll relate this to Sophie as well, do you think, because we touched on this in relation, you touched on work, which is an interesting thing. I had an argument with this with one of my best friends. This is something I consistently argue with him with. He doesn't have mental health problems, but I, and I always debate this with him. Is what do you, how do you think the process, you know, this is the last question because we need to wrap it up, but yeah. I just want to say, how do you feel about in relation to work with stuff like this? I know this is branching out from what we were talking about, but do you feel employ employment uh, organisations, companies are doing better in, in helping people deal with, with their mental health? Like, are they more understanding? You know, because I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to know what you think, Soph. Do you think, do you think that in relation to people who are working? Do you hear people say... You know, I go to employment and say I'm struggling. I want a day off, and they go and for mental health reasons. Do they go no? How, how do you feel? Um, to be honest, obviously I'm not employed at the moment, but mm -hmm. I can kind of speak about it from a student perspective. Yeah, that's a good. Um, so obviously, yeah. university, college, you're kind of just about to go into the world of work. Definitely. Um, yeah. And I think university and colleges do prepare you, and the support is there. Um, but I th definitely think it could be stronger. Mm -hmm. um, Good point, actually, you just made in relation to that, because not only are you going to university in the stress of exams and stuff, but very often students get jobs there for the first time. Like, they get a part-time job at uni, as their, it's just their first thing. So, yeah, it, it, I, I get what you're saying. It, 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 it really is good at university, and this is why I say before university, I really wish that we do, would do more in private, in, like, in middle school and stuff, just to let people aware of what mental health is. Because my first symptoms started at the end of middle school, you know, and I didn't know how to deal with it because it was not one to go to, you know, and teachers have a more, I feel, a more restrictive role now in terms of helping people because I was fortunate that I had a form tutor I could talk to. So uh, what do you think in relation to work? Um, it's, it's very difficult because you can only really talk about your own personal experiences. Um, I work f within the NHS for a clinical commissioning group down in North Allerton, and, you know, I would have to say that I, I couldn't have, have, have expected more or hoped for more um, positive treatment. Um, I've never taken a day off with uh, with the, the condition that I have. Mm -hmm. It's not something that affects you badly enough to, to need time off work. Um, but the fact is that we did, we, we've discussed it. Um, that level of understanding is, and is there. And if that's replicated elsewhere in other workplaces, Steve, then that's a really positive thing. Let's I, hope so. Yeah. yeah. Let's hope so. Great way of ending thank, that for your segment. Thank you so much, Richard, for coming on. No Richard, problem. actually, we should just mention, Richard is going to come back to do mental health news as a last-minute replacement, so I get well soon, Ricky, hopefully. Uh, we should say that. Uh, so uh, he's substituting Ricky, so you'll be around in a bit. I will. So thank you very much. Is there any way anyone can get more information about this? Do you know anywhere to go or anything like that? For um, 
in fairness, that Google, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> um, I probably might stay clear of Wikipedia, but Google's a good place to start because it just you, you might find that the uh, that the symptoms uh, tailor themselves to, to to a life that you've had where you actually didn't never actually realised there was anything the matter. So it's it's worth ten fifteen minutes of research. Mouse, where are you, mouse? There we go. Sorry, I just my mouse wasn't working. I was about to play the next segment. But you thank you, Rich, thank yeah, you, Richard, Dave, for coming please. on. I'll be back later for mental health news. Uh, thanks, Sophie, so far. Yeah, yeah, much appreciated for your cooperation and co-hostedness, your awesomeness as usual. Um, but we need to move on. We've got a pre-recorder coming here with Victoria Armstrong, who is a service user for Mad Studies. Uh, so we're going to play that now. And when we come back, we're going to have Lexi talking about uh, mental health research, which I'm excited to talk to her about. Should be so, really, really interesting. I know. God, yeah. I, 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 anything research is like I've been watching Cosmos recently, the remake. So I'm like, I'm really sciencey at the minute. But uh, so as I say, this is uh, Victoria uh, interviewing uh, Victoria Armstrong, who's a service user for Mad Studies, and you're listening to Mentally Sound right here on Gravity. Radio Northeast. And I'm here today with Victoria Armstrong, who is a doctoral researcher and PhD student at Durham University. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the topic of my research and the areas that I look at is around stigma and discrimination. Part of that, obviously, there's been a there's been a take up of mad studies, and that's sort of taken off over here really in the last year or so. And so I became very interested in that because I think it's an alternative way of looking at things, really concentrated on oppression and power um, and that kind of thing. So I set up a, a group um, in the northeast, and it's sort of been snowballing ever since. Back in the day, maybe I know 20 years ago, often care and support would be provided by the NHS or by social services, and we've seen a real move, particularly in the Blair years, to commissioning those services out. So what we see is actually charities and other organisations, not-for-profit organisations, providing the services. Next question is, what is MAD Studies to you personally? What does it mean to you? Often when we talk about mental health and often talk about kind of consumers of services it's kind of looking at like improving the services that we've already got which I think there's absolutely a place for that and that's necessary what I like about MAD studies it sort of looks a little bit more widely about the structures that surround that provision so I quite like that it problematizes that or kind of queries that a little bit and, and actually how are those bigger structures sort of structured to actually sometimes and not always you know kind of our sources of oppression for people and particularly around diagnosis particularly around the medical model so often that follows like this idea of the social model that it's actually society that actually disables the person rather rather than disability being inherent or something that's actually wrong with the person. So I quite like how it borrows from disability studies and that social model as well. But what I've found with MAD studies, there's been a very interesting bringing together of actually my own experiences in a way that I probably wouldn't... There's people in the forum that know things about me that probably my friends don't know. And what I've found that's been so interesting through this idea of looking at power, looking at structures, looking at oppression, that we've been able to share the things that we've been comfortable sharing. So it's actually become a very doing thing. It's actually become a very kind of supportive, mutually supportive thing, as well as talking about those bigger issues and those political issues. So, uh, obviously we met at the Mad Studies Conference at Durham University in October. So what could you tell us about the event, about your role? The event itself, me and a colleague from Geography initially set the Mad Studies group up. And, and we thought it'd be really great to get a conference together. And when we were thinking about the conference, we thought that 
oh, wouldn't it be great to come together and discuss, like, you know, the theory and Foucault around mad studies and, and, and kind of thinking of it, like I say, as an early career researcher event. I should put in the funding, and as mad studies evolved, realised that really that's not what mad studies is about. It's not actually kind of an academic pursuit, void of everybody else's input or taking other people's voices in. When we found out we were successful, the forum had really taken off as well. We we said, right, we've got this money, and then we sort of redesigned the focus a little bit. We, you know, we kept the ethos of what it was about. But actually, it wasn't that we weren't planning for early career researchers. We're all probably researchers in our own madness, and we're all probably early on in our careers in mad studies because of how new it is. So we're just construing it very widely, I guess. We wanted it to be as interesting. We wanted people to get something out of it. We wanted it to be a safe space for people to be able to contribute. We didn't want it to be, you know, voices of authority just saying things. We had to listen, answer a few questions. And, and I guess if you're not in the academic world, you're probably not aware of how dry some of those environments can really be. It's not a nice environment to be in. And we went straight to the Facebook Mad Studies page, went straight to Recovery in the Bin, which is um, which is a group on Facebook um, that if you, if you haven't seen, please do kind of check it out. It is a form of sort of resistance and a, and a kind of a collective group that really provides an antidote to some of the things that's going on at the moment. You know, it's not necessarily just a celebration. It's not just about Mad Pride. It's not just... Oh, yes closely related to that I think it started off some very important conversations particularly around the issues of race and the connection with psychiatry and oppression and how psychiatry and and racial oppression are very very closely interlinked but I think for next year we need to consider you know, we need to consider wider issues and we need to take those conversations further at the next event, wherever that may be, whether it's held in Durham or whether it's held in the North East or whether it's held somewhere else. Uh, obviously, we've just had World Mental Health Day and it was around the theme of dignity. Did you think about dignity as a theme? What do you think of World Mental Health Day? Dignity, when I think about dignity, I kind of think about the people that I've spoken to and experiences that I know when people have had experiences with services and support, particularly around dignity and not felt like they were treated with any respect. I also think it's important in terms of mad studies, there's a lot of voices that we don't hear in terms of mad studies. I've mentioned already kind of, you know, the critical race perspective that I think is important that really, really needs to develop alongside mad studies and with mad studies. I also think for me something that I'm interested in is learning disabilities and how the psychiatrization and people who um, have learning disabilities are often under psychiatrists, they're often sedated and often because they don't have the platform so sometimes I think you know it's okay for me because I can speak you know from an academic platform or even my own experience and maybe a few people are listening to me there's a lot of people who don't have that and I think that you know World Mental Health Day is either a celebration or a raising awareness event I think is is good I think it's got some really good elements to it Although I think there's a lot to celebrate and I think there's a lot of mutual support out there, I think it can't be used to mask some really, really big issues still in support services and still with people whose whose voices just simply aren't heard. Yeah, it should be be every day. It should be something that's the focus of everybody's lives, to be honest. Um, I mean, my personal view around it is very much, as you said, that, yes, a, a day to raise awareness is great, but then a vast majority of people, they'll move on to the next day, you know, international talk like a pirate day international (laughs) suicide awareness week there just seems to be i mean i think i just celebrated um i think it was international day of coffee which to me is every day this idea that you have a day and then you move on and you know you go back to your life and you've forgotten about it to me i think that what world mental health day does is it's a brilliant opportunity because there's so many events and things going on 
for people involved in campaigning with mental health to push collaborative working, to get networking, so that they've got a stronger platform for the rest of the year. You know, they, they've built up those connections and things. And I think perhaps in that sense, it's a big success. But perhaps in terms of awareness, a single day is pro probably not enough and probably doesn't keep the momentum that is generated on that one day. Again, the recovery in the bin, and they had a particular take on it. And, and a lot of us were using the group to kind of think, oh, actually, you know, a day really to discuss this, to be all nicey-nice about this, when actually we're kind of masking some of the bigger issues and inequalities, really. Mm -hmm. I think that's the danger. Yes, there can be this idea of this celebration and people coming together. But let's not forget the inequality, really, that stands behind that. That's the Mad Studies book. So just to round up, you've already touched on issues of race and obviously taking MAD studies along that route a little bit. Uh, I did notice that the conference issues around gender and sexuality were also yes. brought up. So, you know, where do you see yourself and MAD studies continuing into the future? So in terms of MAD studies, we, you know, in the, in the North East, as we're continuing, we are currently, I lecture along with my colleague Toby Brandon at Northumbria University. There's a MAD studies module there. We've sort of got together as part of the forum and, as, and a, a kind of a core group of the forum members are coming together to write our own course to be delivered in the community, hopefully at Waddington Centre in Durham for the first time next year. There are also other projects in the pipeline that we're quite excited about, um, we're looking, we're actually starting an everyday sanism project for people to call out, which is, you know, the everyday sexism thing, uh, which I think is important for people to do, not only to call out times when they felt discriminated against or stigmatised, but also times when people have felt not able to disclose particular things because of perhaps their experiences or a diagnosis or, ex you know, how they were feeling at the time. Everybody is committed and, we, you know, our forum... Um, we'll continue to run in Durham and in Newcastle next year. So we'll have monthly meetings of the forum, which is open to everybody in the north. I do think it's quite important to point out to listeners that as much as this was sort of an academically based movement, an academically based conference, that, as you say, um, it is open to everybody. Yes. You can Google the term MAD studies. As you said, there are Facebook groups. If you search Facebook, there are Twitter feeds. If you search Twitter, there is a lot of information out there. You can go and uh, along and join these groups, as you said, Newcastle and Durham. Yes, yeah, they will be starting. I mean, we have a forum meeting in, in, in November mm -hmm. on the 19th. 19th of November. Um, and where's that? That's at the Institute of Advanced Studies at Durham. In the new year, we're moving to Waddington Street, and then one month it'll be in Durham, and the next month it'll be in Newcastle, hopefully in Broadacre House. So everybody is welcome to those meetings. If, I if yeah, start. if people get in touch with the show, that's mentally sound radio, all one word at gmail.com. It certainly isn't an academic pursuit. I think it's a really important movement that if we sort of get it right, you know, kind of come together and challenge some of the things that I think have been diluted. I think the service user movement has been diluted by services again over the last sort of 10-15 years and I think we really need to kind of reclaim that. Fantastic so um, Victoria Armstrong uh, I want to thank you very much for your time I've been Victoria <laughs> as well um, with Gravity Radio Northeast for Mentally Sound thank you very much for your time Brilliant that was Shaquin with Tom Jones a classic I've been listening to that for so much recently uh, Shaquin and Tom Jones with Stoned in Love live version from 2009 excellent it's on youtube i highly recommend you check it out as well uh but yes we are back to mentally sound thank you so much for tuning in we should we should mention because i keep forgetting as well we are on twitter at mentally at underscore mentally sound guy i can't believe I, I i always get that one right and i got that one wrong um email uh, gareth 
do we know off the top of our heads? It's Mentally Sound at Gmail, isn't it? Mighty Sound Radio or Gmail. We can, we can confirm that because we've changed it. That's all the reason why. But yeah, so please do email us if you've got any questions. Obviously, tweet us. We have Gareth checking the Twitter feed throughout the show. Uh, and Facebook as well. We have a, a Facebook page, which is Mentally Sound as well. Uh, excellent. But as we said, we touched on that Lexi is here. Hello, Lexi. Hi. Um, and she was here uh, last show, was it? Last show, Lexi? Yeah, um, yeah. To promote uh, her new se- a new segment about mental health and research, which is excellent. And today, we're going to be talking about... We've been joking about this during the... <laughs> during the pre- How do you pronounce this? It's eco-fried. From the, is that right? It's uh, Echo Freed. Echo Freed, um, Echo Freed. Um, let's not forget everyone else. Um, yeah. The team of researchers from the University of Leuven in Belgium. Excellent. And uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, the floor is yours. I know Sophie's got Sophie's got a lot of questions on this. So, uh, yeah, so we're going to... What's today's topic, Alexi? Um, so this paper for this month um, focuses on uh, how we diagnose depression and how we kind of understand the relationship between symptoms of depression. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So what 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 have you I was going to say what have you discovered but what's what's the main sort of issues? Okay, so yeah, the issue is that major depression is actually a really kind of complicated and difficult like um, disorder to kind of classify and diagnose. Really? Well, so when when they did the the pilot study for the DSM five to make sure that the DSM five measured kind of what people wanted it to measure, um, major depression came out as one of the least reliable diagnoses to get. Um, it could be to do with the fact that people, like two people with depression, can have very different experiences, and it's really hard to kind of come up with something that encompasses everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, very so, interesting. Yeah, there's a um, need to kind of understand more how the symptoms work together. I mean, with my layman perspective and, and my, with my experiences, is uh, one of the things that I am aware of actually, which is interesting. Just a, a quick digression is to say. I got actually diagnosed with major depression originally. Uh, it's one of the common things that yeah. people get diagnosed for uh, because it's the beginning of something more, more, more. It's either it's one or two things. It's either it, it you do have major depression or severe depression or whatever you want to call it, and it leads to another disorder uh, afterwards. So you begin with that because what a lot of people don't realize is your brain still full, is not fully developed till your early twenties, and in some guys' cases, it can be mid twenties. Um, so it can lead to another disorder or it uh, so either it's something that becomes something or it's something that gets you've already got it and then gets mixed diagnosed so yeah it's an obviously an interesting thing yeah i mean i think um with the depression it people are quite reluctant to diagnose younger people um as i've mentioned before my younger sister is only 16 and she's been diagnosed with reactive depression and to be honest, doctors were quite reluctant to diagnose her with that in the first place, but gradually you got the diagnosis we wanted. Uh-huh. No, that's interesting. I mean, uh, th- that's something that we can talk about in relation to, you say about people being diagnosed earlier. I, I want to know what Lexi thinks as well. And can I just say when we do that, can you move Lexi towards the mic closer? Just when she speaks as well, that's great. Uh, just, I want to ask Lexi, and obviously you Sophie if you want to di- um, divulge as well, is to just ask... Something I'm always fascinated in with the American system is that they do diagnose people really, really early. And as I just touched on, you know, your brain doesn't fully develop till your early 20s or, you know, depending on your gender, could be later. And, you know, there's some examples of where kids are diagnosed for like bipolar disorder or autism at like six years old. And and then you find out that either it's a mood diagnosis or you could make the argument of they get given a medication that they have something they don't have. And that leads to more long term problems because they get given a medication they don't need. I'm just interested to know 
and from your experience doing re- you know reading research Lexi like what do you what's your take on that yeah I mean obviously early intervention is really important if that means that people get help but then giving children these labels can be quite difficult with with stigma and and whether it, it really does help or not and um, I mean what you were saying earlier about um your kind of depression moving into bipolar possibly is something that um this research could really help with because mm-hmm. it's traditionally um people have thought that an, an agent in the brain um causes depression and that gives you all these symptoms of depression mm-hmm. but what like researchers have found it really difficult to actually find what that is that causes it and where where it comes from so what these researchers have, have said as well actually if we look at how the symptoms influence each other we might get a much better idea of how depression starts very good um, point and it's much easier to find evidence of the symptoms in the body and the brain than it is of <laughs> this mysterious depression that mm-hmm. we haven't been able to put our fingers on that's such a that's such a uh, a really relevant point this is something i argued when i was in hospital believe it or not is that it can happen the opposite way as well which is what's in what i think is kind of how it worked with me is because i got early di- as i say i got early diagnosed with severe depression when i was a teenager like a young teenager and then it led it, it it led to them keep giving me symptoms for my depression at like a, like medication for my depression but one of the things that's interesting about bipolar disorder is depression is a symptom of bipolar disorder so there's an argument to be made that you get de- uh, uh, how a lot of mental health professionals deal with a, a problem with mental health if they haven't got an accurate diagnosis is they'll just they'll just give you stuff for the symptoms but the 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 problem is you need to find what the cause is so if severe depression isn't what you've got you're dealing with the symptoms of it but it's never going to go away because you're not dealing with the cause of why you're depressed which is kind of the 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 which is why as you quite rightly say in this research suggests it's a hard thing to figure out because that's why do you think that's the reason why in the wider scope of things people they're reluctant to give diagnoses because they're that sometimes they're wrong you know let's be frank like is that, that do you think that's the reason it's definitely a risk. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, as I said the last time I was on, the yeah. way that we diagnose mental um, health problems is, is not perfect um, by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, these researchers were kind of interested at relationships between symptoms, whether um, there are some symptoms of depression that you, like most people have. I mean, the DSM requires two particular symptoms like low mood and um, loss of interest or pleasure but they were kind of looking at whether there are these core symptoms mm-hmm. and whether that can shed light on how depression starts what it is what it isn't um what things look like depression but aren't mm-hmm. um lexi it does say on your paper that is right in front of us um it says what are good depression symptoms yeah so that's that's a controversial um thing to title the paper yeah, get out, Lexi. Um, <laughs> but I think what the researchers were getting at is, is what are the depression symptoms that are important for clinicians to look at? What are the key things? Um, should we concentrate on those? Um, so what they did to find that out was to take um, participants who had a diagnosis of depression who were already involved in a cl- clinical trial of depression treatments. They got a variety of different treatments. Um, the, the data that these researchers were interested in is just how the patients described what they were experiencing, um, which were then rated um, on clinicians with lots of different screening tools that you're probably all familiar with. Every time you go for a, an appointment, they kind of monitor you with these um, depression symptoms. Um, another problem with that is that the DSM scales and the questionnaires that you get given when you go to a mental health appointment often use different 
symptoms and different behaviours. So they were also interested in whether some of those were more useful than others. Um, so they did a sort of statistical simulation that clusters symptoms together to see how often symptoms were occurring in the same person and the, kind of what frequency all these symptoms were coming out at. So they did find that there is evidence for core, not good, symptoms of depression. Um, these were kind of more strongly connected and occurred in more people um, and they were more likely to occur alongside other symptoms than anyone else. And luckily, they, were, they included low mood and loss of interest or pleasure, which is what the DSM uses, so we can breathe a sigh of relief that the DSM is not completely useless. Um, but there wasn't a, this kind of... There weren't these few symptoms that came out as really important and everything was not important. There was like a slow tailing off. So it's, not, it's still not clear what the core symptoms of depression are, but there are some that are more common and could possibly influence or lead to other symptoms so that kind of has kind of suggestions for how we might want to approach depression you might say okay someone doesn't have enough symptoms to meet a diagnosis but if we leave them six months they might do so maybe we should try and intervene now and kind of save someone a lot of struggling yeah uh, what i find fascinating about that because we were saying that it's as you say with there being a controversial thing of saying what are good depressive symptoms is it is it can i like sort of uh, rephrase that and say maybe uh, kind of what I gather your meaning is that it's what are natural symptoms I guess is really what we're talking about here and what I mean by that is a good symptom is in something that is a natural course of depression rather than something that can be you know harmful and, and destructive because if you can learn to deal with the 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 regular form of depression that is kind of what you need to help deal with you know and that's what gets you to have a normal life and well i hate the word normal but you know what i mean like a, a life that's not disrupted by mental health to the point of you can't live your life i guess is what i'm saying is that fair to say is it kind of a more that's kind of what this research is looking into yeah so these these kind of core symptoms um or good symptoms um can be seen as yeah the most kind of natural like organic maybe even like pure symptoms of depression mm. so you can kind of concentrate down and kind of target the depression and then kind of look at how it's affected someone's life and that will be different for everyone those kind of more outward symptoms will be more kind of different and individual mm -hmm. so if you've got this idea of, of basically what depression is kind of what's similar between people then it, it does kind of give us a better idea of, of what treatments might work for mm -hmm. most people and then we can kind of take a more individual approach as we kind of get a better idea of yeah. how it usually works which is a good point because you always want to make sure with you know that's one of the things i always say about mental health and, and i think across the board is that everyone has an individual case you can have the same you know mental health issue and you know, whether it be bipolar disorder schizophrenia whatever uh severe depression and how you deal with it can be completely different. You know, you know, you can give someone the same medication and it can have adverse effects that are completely different to the two separate people, which is fascinating. So, in relation to this research that you touched on, is uh, what was its what was it what was its kind of core results? Because I've got it written here, and it's just interesting. Like, yeah, I'm just reading what you, the findings of this research was. It's yeah, quite fascinating. So, yeah. So as I said, there. It's like, oh, we're doing our own edition of Cos we're doing our own edition of Cosmos. Yeah, I just realised. <laughs> I feel like Neil deGrasse Tyson right now. <laughs> yeah. So. So there was this evidence for core symptoms, and that's that's probably a kind of ro robust and reliable finding um, because it agrees with other research that has shown that the the common like DSM required symptoms of depression, so low mood and loss of interest, um, had the greatest impact on how a person functions. So that's it's really important for people getting better and and living their lives kind of functionally. 
Um, and it also agreed with, with the research showing that these two DSM symptoms, so again, low mood, loss of interest, um, are the best predictors of a diagnosis of depression. It kind of sounds like a circular argument because they're the ones you need to have to get your diagnosis. But it means that using the other symptoms are either as good or less good at diagnosing depression. So it kind of means that generally the way we diagnose depression is on track, but it, it could get slightly better and our understanding of the illness can get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, thing. everything's wrong. We need to change everything. Uh, I mean, from your, from this is something I think, and I struggle with this in my own private life in regards to my issues is it's something that you get a lot of criticism from, from people who don't understand mental health as they go, can you not just do more within your life to deal with your symptoms? And I get frustrated with that because that's something I try and focus on all the time. But I guess what's, what's, great about this research which kind of it to me it underlines is that there's only so much you can do and what i mean by that is it doesn't mean that you can't do stuff to help you cope with it but i guess that we touched on this with richard earlier is do you think it's a case of that they don't understand is that you know you're trying to cope with something forever it's not going to go away completely do you think that's the reason why people are kind of especially people who don't have mental health issues that they kind of struggle to understand that concept yeah i think so i mean I've seen bits of Ruby Wax's um, talking about her experiences. And, yeah, and it's she good. Said, she's said good with her, this, like, yeah. Can you just, you know, cheer up? And she was like, oh, well, I didn't think of that. Like, mm-hmm. it, it does kind of put in balance that, yes, you can do some things to help yourself, but at the end of the day, you have this illness, you have these core symptoms, and mm-hmm. you can kind of help help yourself within the disorder, but at the end of the day, it is an illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are you, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's more about manageability rather than trying to make it go away completely because, mm-hmm. as you say, it's it's really not going to go away altogether. There's still going to be those things there. Great point. I mean, one of the, one of the, uh, is it, it's safe to say this is something that I always kind of quantify it by saying is that um, a lot, it, and this is the case with a bunch of problems, it's not just mental health related, is putting things in a box and pretending it isn't happening is the worst thing you can do. Uh, if I decide for whatever reason to go oh i'm just gonna not i'm gonna stop i'm gonna pretend i don't have bipolar disorder that's that's gonna be really harmful and dangerous for me um every single day which is frightening for someone who doesn't have it but i've dealt i mean i've known about it over 10 years now is i wake up every day and go my first thought is right what do i need to do to have a good day today and it's not for me it's what i what do i need to do based on how i feel when i wake up like it's uh, for me it's a percentage game it's like how much do i feel when i first get up and how do i get to a good percentage where i feel i'm gonna good day i was gonna say do you think that's why there's a reluctancy for people to go and get a diagnosis because that diagnosis is slapping a label on straight away good point and then you can't get rid of that label as hard as you want to get rid of it Mm -hmm. it's a very good point because i mean it, it, it leads to the other set question which is you know you Am, am I am I comfortable now with my with my, with with seeing it? And I, I'm I mean I'm really open about it now. Uh, but it but I guess the, the best way of answering your question is to go back to to go back to how I felt when I was first diagnosed. I always tell the story of, and it's sad to say, but this is just a fact. Is when I first had the courage to tell my mom because I 
you know, my, my dad, my parents were divorced, didn't speak to my dad very much. So my mom was my main source of thing. And when I had the courage to tell her I had depression at the time, because I was crying all the time, I was floundering in school. She didn't know this. I was locking myself in my room. I was a very sort of social outcast then, which is weird to say now because I'm opposite that, but I was not dealing with what I was going through. So I had the courage to say to my mom, I'm like, I'm going to tell her. And she said, um, I can't believe you're doing this to me. And kind of said, pretty much I was a disgrace to the family and all this kind of thing. Because bringing up something as as powerful and as detrimental as what that is, it, 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 it's a generational thing in that regard. But just people aren't people aren't that sure at that time. But I guess maybe, do you think it's gotten better? I guess this is something for Lexi as well. Do you think the... Do you think the um, <laughs> it's like after you after you they're all like i want to see something is do you think it's gotten better i guess that's the ending of you know it's great research you've brought in but do you think it's gotten better on the whole like with dealing with mental health with re- is the research getting better in your opinion oh well, the research is is always moving forward i mean we're we're really dependent on what's gone before us to kind of raise the right questions um, uh-huh. to move forward with but i think there is change on the horizon i wouldn't say that it's gotten better past tense mm-hmm. but i think it's a it's a really interesting time for me to be working in psychology and mental health because I think there are good things on the way, or I hope. Cool. Excellent. Anything to add, Sophie, before we move on? How is it? That, um, I'm quite interested in the research actually. I think I might go away and have a I know, I'm more. like I'm wanting to like uh, I'm wanting to like pick Lexi's brain off yeah, the show. I'm I'll, like I'll uh, just leave you with a fun question. So okay, one, yeah. One of the the other findings that the research found um was that anxiety symptoms were connected to depression symptoms, which is something that the DSM doesn't really address. Mm, and this just raises point. a chicken and egg question of whether one leads to the other. So like you could have anxiety and then because there are so many things that you'd no longer do because of your anxiety does that lead to depression or does that mean they're the same thing um and no one's answered that question so i just leave mm. you with that yeah i would say my my first insti- instinctual response is to say yeah I, I think part of the reason that the people have more long-term issues is because one problem leads to another um so if you have anxiety and you choose not to deal with it it can lead to you being depressed about you not dealing with anxiety and then it, it starts a snowball effect um again, again like i say if my bipolar disorder takes control of me um i start feeling you know all sorts of different symptoms which i can get rid of if i'm coping with it if you see what i mean so fascinating lexi this is such a great idea kudos to kudos to gareth and yourself for for this segment um so you're going to be on every show is that you plan on being the next one as well is that the plan um, i'm hoping so i will certainly be back next month yes um for the december show yes job situation okay so, but assuming that i'm still in the northeast i will Okay, well, I'm sure if, you, if not, we could do some, we could, I'm sure we can organize some pre-recorded stuff as well if you can't come in live. But thank you for coming in live. It's no, been fun. It's like a great, great segment. I hope we do more. Sophie, do you agree? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we should definitely keep it up. And I think we should definitely probe that question about whether anxiety comes first or depression comes yeah, first. Yeah, anyone's got a, anyone's got a... Yeah, I was, gonna, I was just about to yeah, say, yeah, so if uh, if listeners have got a, an answer to that, so what um, what was it in, to, in just, I don't want to paraphrase, so... So. Um, so the researchers found that anxiety symptoms were also connected to depression symptoms, so people that reported depression symptoms, because that was everyone in the study, um, often reported anxiety symptoms, so do you think that that's because one leads to the other, or do you think that's because they're the same disorder? Or maybe it's, it's different Ooh, for different excellent. Anyone got any questions, please do tweet us at at underscore mentally sound, and it's... Uh, 
mentallysoundradio at gmail.com. I think that's right. We'll make sure we'll check that before the end. Is it correct? Okay, excellent. Um, Excellent. So please do email us, tweet us, let you know our thoughts, anything else about the show, please do get in touch. Thank you much, Lexi, so much. Hopefully see you in the next show. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, We're going to take a break now, and we're just going to play a song, which is not what we usually do. Uh, So we're going to play. Anyone, any of you Soundgarden fan, Sophie? Do you know Soundgarden? Uh, You're too young? Probably too young, yes. I'm only 21. She she was talking to me when I said 28. She's going 21, going, oh, I was like that when I was 21. And and me and Gareth went, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was very funny. But uh, yeah, Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, legendary singer. This was a band in the 90s he was part of. This is Black Hole Sun, classic Soundgarden song. And you're listening to Mentally Sound right here at Gravity Radio Northeast. Enjoy. Oh, God, I love that song. That was Soundgarden with Black Hole Sun, Chris Cornell, I Want Your Children. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, seriously, Chris Cornell, legendary uh, band. Actually, that is the band that uh, my sister used to scream at when I was growing up, and uh, would, everyone would tell her to stop. Uh, just shout out to my sister there. Uh, we have a couple of promos before we do mental health news with Richard, who is a last-minute replacement for Ricky, as we say to everyone. hope Ricky gets well soon. A uh, couple of things. We have a brand new website launched last month devoted to men and mental health that they want us to plug on the show. It's called Mental Health, which is the greatest idea I've come up with because it's men, M-E-N, tell, T-E-L-L, and health, uh, It's uh, which is just genius. And you can get it by visiting uh, www.mentelhealth.org, as I, as I spelt it. It might be devoted to men, but that's not to say it's only for men. Anyone will benefit from it. It tries to look at mental health in a more grounded, plain-speaking, and humorous way. Uh, Gary, the guy behind it, lives in the Northeast, which is an accident. He's actually he's coming on the, on the show next month uh, to talk about that, that very thing. So, excellent. Please do uh, check out. Uh, that's www.mentellhealth.org. Mentel Health. Uh, and another one, because uh, Sharon Race has been on the show before. She's a co-host of... Uh, she's done a couple of co-hosts, if I remember correctly. She is doing... Um, Oh, she's doing next month as well, Gareth just told me uh, uh, behind the scenes. So uh, on Tuesday, the 8th of December, Launchpad presents, uh, and I can't read it because it's too far away, uh, Stuff and Nonsense Christmas Extravaganza, a showcase of comedy, new writing sketches, and burlesque for and by mental health survivors and supporters of the Clooney 2, which is in Biker, I believe. It's technically Biker, isn't it? It's under Biker Bridge, I remember. It's a great place. Uh, it's got music, uh, quiz, special guests, including Jad Riot, who are rhyming ranters and a jazzing riffers. Uh, they're venomous, thoughtful, and very funny, says The Crack, with MC Sharon Race, as I just said, who is multi-talented, said Newcastle Journal. Fantastic host, kept the night flowing, says Laughing Cows. Awesome, said The Frog and Butter. The best comedy night I've ever seen, Morecambe and Wise. Uh, one of these is wrong. Uh, I'm just doing this as a joke. Uh, it just she's not a fantastic host. That's what was wrong. I'm joking, Sharon. I'm joking. I, I said I was going to joke about it, but no, seriously, it's it's excellent. It's on Tuesday, the eighth of December, as I say, at Clooney Two. Uh, as the tagline of it goes, well-being is for life and just for Christmas. It's free entry, although donations are warmly received. Uh, for more information, I imagine you go to Clooney's website. I know Clooney have a website, so I imagine you can find it there. But yeah, that is Tuesday the 8th of December. Launchpad presents Stuff and Nonsense Christmas Extravaganza. Please do check it out. Okay, promo's done. Uh, so, Mental Health News with Richard and Sophie. Uh, Richard, welcome back. Yeah, uh, thanks very much. What have you been doing since the break? Um, <laughs> trying to learn the news that I'm about to give you. 
<laughs> Great, he's learning well. So fire away, mental health news, Richard. Yeah, I'm, I'm indebted to Ricky for uh, for giving us the uh, the links to the to the various news and for picking stories that had unpronounceable words in them. So uh, um, I'll apologise in advance if there's any words that I don't pronounce and uh, and wish Ricky uh, a speedy recovery. Definitely, he needs to be back next month. Indeed. Um, two stories, both relating to schizophrenia and. Of, of, of quite considerable interest, I think. Um, the first relates to um, a, a possible clue in the brain's immune system to mm-hmm. the prevention of, uh, of schizophrenia. Um, there is a, a weight of evidence that suggests that the immune system and inflammation both play um, a fairly important role in uh, schizophrenia. Um, and there is a, a, a thought that the, the condition could be prevented um, by actually doing some work to calm the brain's immune system. Um, the brain cells that are relevant, and this is where um, my, my pronunciation might falter slightly, <laughs> is that uh, they're called microglia, um, and they're about 10 to 15 percent of the uh, of the brain cells, um, but essentially what they are is the, uh, the, the, the first and main barrier to, uh, to infection um, reaching the, the, uh, the, the brain via okay. the central nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the jobs that they do, obviously, is to fight off um, cells that cause infection, but it's been um, demonstrated that overactivity of these cells can actually sever um, important connections within the brain, um, and the net result of that means that some of the connections can actually be um, mistaken and, and lead to the kind of symptoms that, uh, that would appear in schizophrenia, the, uh, the inability to, uh, you know, to, in certain situations... Uh, Spot, spot what is real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a fairly major thing. What, what they did, um, the scientists have developed a dye that could attach itself to these cells, um, and when they injected it into uh, a, a, a sample, they found that the, uh, the results um, showed an overactivity in patients that already had been diagnosed with schizophrenia, um, but also in patients that um, quite possibly were at risk of developing the condition, um, but don't actually have it. Ooh, um, so the theory is that if you could do something to reduce that activity of those cells, um, that there is a, a possible uh, significant benefit to people who are currently at risk of, uh, of, a, of you know, a fairly debilitating condition. So um, potentially, as with all these things, it's potentially. Um, you know, there's, there's more studies needed, um, but there's a lot of work going on with anti-inflammatories that, uh, that, that basically just, yeah. just target this particular cell. Um, fascinating stuff. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you said it's schizophrenia, isn't it? Did you say? Yes, well, uh, it's schizophrenia. So yeah, uh, let's um, call the whole thing. Okay, yeah. Yeah, let's call the whole... Um, is, uh, that's as much as we can say without <laughs> copyright issues. But... Uh, but uh, what I wanted to touch on is, because David, who's actually been on this show, yes, I've him, yeah. um, uh, I, he was actually in hospital with me when I was there, and I had a long conversation with him about schizophrenia, and it is terrifying what you hear. Yeah. And the reason I say this is because it's something you touched on about what real and what isn't. How you described it to me, which terrified me. I mean, I feel bipolar disorder at its worst is awful. I can only speak from my experience because that's what I've got. But um, when he described to me that basically how, how he described it to me, it's like being in a dream you're not aware you're in. Uh, but the only way you can get round it is, he said, once you're aware that what you've known isn't real, but it, it feels real, even though it's completely, when he described to me one dream, he had like a dream sequence, mm-hmm. how we would perceive it. He would say like it was almost fantasy-like, but how he, how schizophrenic people 
try and get out of that mindset is it's they have to find like a like it's almost like a door or a key or a, a, like it, it I'm, I'm speaking sort of metaphorically but inside his head it's like he has to find an escape from his dream and when he was describing this to me it was fascinating but i was thinking from his perspective because i think this is something not enough people do so i was thinking from him how does he deal with that because he doesn't know what is what is real and what isn't but he, he can be in it but it's like there's only he said there's something that triggers inside the dream that makes him become aware of what he's oh, not right, what he's okay. experiencing is not real, and I I I was just I was like going you know I could just sit and listen to him because I wanted to learn how this works so just from my limited knowledge of talking to people who have schizophrenia and I should paraphrase by saying this is what we touched on earlier with Lexi you can actually get mental health issues that can have bouts of schizophrenia in them uh, whenever. I've had this before only a couple of times in my life I'm pleased to say where I've kind of hit a schizophrenic episode where I've started to hallucinate and various other things through through bipolar disorder and that can happen in other mental health issues as well so that's just something I wanted to bring up but so what's your response to what uh, Richard just said and just what I just touched on with schizophrenia yeah, yeah. I was just going to mention the whole hallucinations thing because I think that's quite common with OCD as well especially with the obsessive thoughts and the obsessive images as well Mm-hmm. Sorry, Karen. No, no, that I was just, I was just saying. <laughs> I that, just got uh, given a note, so no, I was no, like, carry on. <laughs> um, so as I was saying, it's with OCD, which is something that I have. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them hallucinations, hallucinations as such. They're kind of the images and the thoughts that you get. Mm-hmm. They're kind of schizophrenic in themselves. Yeah. They're not. They're not real. Mm-hmm. But it's with OCD and anxiety, which is what I have. It's the worry that they are going to happen. Yeah. So, no. Yeah, Definitely, I know what you mean. So maybe the thing that's happened here with the research, maybe that could help other disorders as well. Well, I was just going to touch on it because this is something I know about. Because I say I'm just my my mom has Parkinson's, and uh, this is something in Parkinson research they look into because they think it's a specific membrane that has that leads to Parkinson's symptoms. It's a specific um, membrane that basically, um, like, uh, what the right word? It's sort of. Um, doesn't work properly. I'm trying to think of the right technical term, but as in doesn't work properly, it's like it's it's devoid devoid or whatever the right word dysfunctional. is. Dysfunctional, yeah, something like that. And uh, yeah, so they want to, as you're touching on with schizophrenia, they want to look, try and find that and try and um, you know manipulate it so it doesn't happen. Because essentially, in the very simplistic sense, for people who may not be unsure about mental health, it is literally a part of your brain that doesn't work properly. Mm-hmm. Hence, why people say, you know, why is, uh, is a broken leg treated? Should be treated properly when if we've got a broken brain, which is essentially what mental health is, we just don't get treated the same, which is an interesting way of phrasing it. But yeah, fascinating. So the the second story in relation to schizophrenia, because you said there was two. Yeah, um, uh, this relates to, uh, you know, obviously the first story was more in connection with uh, prevention. um, But uh, the US uh, Food and Drug Administration, um, which is known as FDA in my house, um, has apparently approved a drug called uh, Aristada, um, and it's an injectable um, extended release um, for adults who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, There's been a 12-week clinical trial, um, and um, over 600 uh, samples of uh, people have been sampled. This is in in the States, Steve. Uh Um, And they've found that the, uh, the, the injection actually maintains the stability of patients who are already taking oral arpiprazole, and that was one of the ones I was hoping I didn't have to say. Um, it actually reduces the levels of hallucination um, and the feelings of delusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously they've, they've 
tested some of the samples with the placebo, so there is a very distinct difference in the results. So, uh, you know, that's actually a, a potentially a real positive. Um, there are side effects, as there seem to be with most of these uh, things, anxiety, headaches, um, and apparently a need to be constantly on the move, um, oh, which, uh, which is akathisia. Um, you oh, probably nice. already knew that, Steve, but I no, didn't. I really and, don't. Uh, I, really don't. Um, I don't know everything. I'm just, you just happened to touch on things I knew already about. So, um, so no, I don't know. We're, we're, we're looking at, uh, again, a potential breakthrough. Um, they're, they're, they're very keen, I think, the, uh, the people involved in the trial to make sure that, the, uh, that, that it's specifically targeted to, uh, to, to schizophrenia and, and not other types of mental disorder where the reactions to the drug could actually be quite serious. Uh -huh. um, but again, a couple of really positives for a, a, very, you know, a very difficult and, uh, and worrying condition. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, we're early pressed for time because we went a bit over on a couple of other things, but that's fantastic. Anything you want to uh, just conclude with, with what was just said? I know, but I think, as what Lexi said before, I think research is heading in the right direction. It I certainly think, sounds I think it, yeah. good things are coming for mental health. Mm -hmm. um, let's just hope, uh, and I, I hate to get all political on this show, but let's just hope that they put as much in the budget for mental health as other things. That's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, but yes, thank you, Richard, for yeah, being a last-minute replacement. I'm sorry it wasn't so long, but you've been on. You've had two segments. Be lucky, Richard. Feel lucky. <laughs> or maybe he's like, I can't wait to leave. I don't know. <laughs> was that good? Well, was that fine, painless? I, I, yeah, I don't want to be greedy, and I am leaving. Thanks no, so no worries. Yeah, you need to go. Thanks a lot, Richard. Thanks. Much appreciated. Take care. Right? Uh, we're going to play the Northern Spirit interview now. Uh, so that's Victoria talking to uh, Northern Spirit. Let me just say what the... Um I was doing a promo, lost my position. Uh, Trevor Bird, that's the one. Uh, he's the founder, treasurer, and chairman. Got us the three-way, three-way, um, three-way job description there uh, of the Northern Spirit Player Support Group. It's a father and son service user from Berwick, and Victoria goes down to interview them. Uh, so that's uh, talking about funding issues and various other things. If you want more information, I just because I'll end up forgetting, you can go to Northern Spirit Berwick dot weebly dot com and they're also on facebook and twitter if you search northern spirit barrett you should be able to find them so yeah this is the northern spirit interview and we'll be back to do some letters from northern spirit and we're also going to talk quickly to steve about steve who's a, a contributor to this uh, to this very show talking about his book as well so we'll be back in a sec but this is the northern spirit interview and you're listening to mentally sound right here on gravity radio northeast Victoria with Mentally Sound on Gravity Radio Northeast. I am here today with Trevor Bird, Chairman and Treasurer here at Northern Spirit, all the way up in Berwick. Uh, I just want to open with a bit of a quote, which you'll uh, understand its relevance in a moment. But this is from the Evening Chronicle on the 23rd of February this year. And it says, A spokesman for Mental Health Matters said that in spring 2014, Mental Health Matters, working closely with commissioners, adult social care and the community mental health team, determined that the current services, that is, here in Northumberland, Berwick in particular, were outdated and not effective to newer referrals. It was jointly agreed that the service needed to transform to a more recovery-focused, inclusive service in which the people using the service take more control of their own lives and choice of service. And from that, we have here today Northern Spirit Berwick. So, uh, Trevor, I'd like you to just really give us a bit of an introduction about what you guys are all about, expand a little bit on how you came to be. Well, we came into being with uh, this court saying that the services were terminated and 
it was two weeks previous to that that we heard these services were no longer going to continue. The existing services were basically a place where people could come, be comfortable with one another, um, receive support from members of staff and to, to do varying activities throughout the day. It benefited many of the carers in the community as well because it gave them a day's respite. Uh, once those services finished, we realised that we had no support and we discussed the possibility of trying to find a place to sort of just meet together. So when you say we, you mean the, the service users, basically, yes. and the carers who had been abandoned, yeah. really, at such short notice? Yeah. And then from that point on, I decided that why not continue the particular service that we were receiving before? Do you think it was uh, important as well for the people who were attending to have a continuity? I think the surroundings were quite important to a lot of people. I think our longest servant member, if you want to call her that, had been here 18 years, so it was a place she knows um, and she felt safe, always felt safe coming into this particular building. Um, because these services were removed so sharp, we had literally two weeks to see if we could get permission to carry on um, some form of support, some form of service. We're given permission more or less straight away to use the building. If I was to just throw some sort of uh, some terms your way in terms of emotions that you guys probably felt and you could just sort of maybe comment on which would probably be more accurate would you say that the um, northern spirit came from a place of empowerment or desperation i think northern spirit very came about because people were like you say desperate but there was also a lot of push and motivation behind that we we passionate about mental health haven't lived with that for over 50 years. Um, my mother had what they called at the time was manic depression. But I lived with this from being a very young age, um, sat and listened to my mother many a night. She could seem to go on for a week or more without sleep when she was really ill. But at least I listened. And listening to a lot of people here who suffer various long-term mental health issues. I wanted to put something back because I find that even though I suffer with mental health issues, it helps me to come along here and be doing something for the benefit of myself and the benefit for everybody who comes, and not only that, for the carers. So, so would you say that you're coming from a position of pride, or would you say it's more anger? Certainly not pride, because it developed out of anger, anger as well, because initially we were given two weeks' notice that we were closing. That was it. No more services. People's health straight away dipped. I can imagine um, for yourself for the, the other attendees, that that must have been a very distressing time. Were you offered any counselling or, or support in that sense emotionally? 
we had no support emotionally whatsoever. There was no counselling. Um, the majority of people used to have support workers outside of the time here. And I think it was left where only two people actually got any support from the outside. The rest were just cut off completely. Now, only support we ever really received was the initial six months where MHM used a legacy to pay for the rent for the six months, to pay for insurance and to pay the phone bills. After that, we knew we would have to become self-sufficient. We have a tea fund which initially was paying for fuel because we have two ladies who are so far out in the community. They have no public transport whatsoever, so they have to be transported in. Uh, we have known the odd one or two that used to benefit from the service have ended up back in either St George's or other places. But when they do get back out, what is that to come back out to if they're cutting all the services? It just seems uh, ludicrous. There's not a lot because, they, they, I mean, yes, they have some involvement from um, MHM on the float and support side. So that service does remain in some that form? That service does remain for them. Um, but like I said, we were just part of the day services. Peer support seems to be the fashionable thing in the NHS at the minute and opinion is divided. So I just want to ask, what are your opinions on peer support? The NHS has moved the problem elsewhere, cut costs and given other people, yes, they have given other people the responsibility. Uh, it does empower people if they do end up getting other support, which has been lacking up to now. There is a pot of money available for a new initiative that they are doing next year. It is a very limited pot. Limited is a word that I hear very frequently through my work at Mentally Sound. <laughs> very limited, apparently. By shoving the problem onto peer groups and leaving them ill-equipped to handle things such as funding bids, they're almost setting them up to fail unless... Like a group like Northern Spirit, it's the most determined of people running on sheer enthusiasm and anger, like you said, and, and just sheer force of will seems to carry these people and these groups. Well, uh, when you think, um, uh, we started uh, initially with just our tea fund, but we have had... Many a good thing is fueled on a good tea yeah, fund. It, is. <laughs> it was never meant to pay for everything else in the building when you were we're going to have to fundraise. Because I do think that the only way that peer support is going to survive is with partnerships and sponsorships. But when you consider this gentleman, I mean, I don't suppose he'd ever had any communication with any group such as this, but realised that it was benefiting his wife who has problems. Um, he decided to donate £500 a month committed himself to doing that he's an accountant as well so he said he would do our books free of charge and he has friends who are solicitors who are willing to help in the background as well free gratis 
Well, I do think that Northern Spirit has set a fine example there, not just by seeking funding, but by seeking to link up and seeking to take advantage of skills from local businesses. And I think that's something that hopefully other peer groups will be able to better do is that sense of networking. And I think congratulations to you that you've taken full advantage of that. The peer support groups have become very adaptable at going out and and seeking these contacts and seeking this support and this collaborative working. Do you feel that's something that we can feed back to them in terms of this is what we're doing really well? I don't know whether we could throw it back to them, but we could certainly tell them what we are doing. Whether we are doing it better, I don't know. Are we? (laughs) (laughs) When we first kicked off, we did get somebody volunteer to come in to do some counselling. She was obviously a trained counsellor, but she has become very ill herself, so isn't able to come along. And that's that's something we would find hard to provide. Not not only financially. I think we still we would still need support from um, the National Health Service or the trust to provide that particular service. So you see yourselves here at Northern Spirit as a support organisation rather than a recovery-based organisation? Oh, we're certainly not a recovery-based organisation because we realise that there's a lot of these people will never, ever recover. They'll only learn to cope. At least they know they have some form of support this way clarify when MHM were kind of leading things was there more a recovery focus as well as the support it had become quite a recovery based service Um, we were told this was because of the commissioners what does it come to because this government alone has promised at least two million I think it was or two billion to mental health services where is this money going to is it going to be put into services like this for support groups? Are they going to help them in some way? But instead, no, we support ourselves. We've got to financially get out there and raise more funding. Just uh, before we sort of wrap things up, because I do want to come back to that quote that we opened with and just sort of address some of those things in relation to the interesting points you've raised. Uh, Do you want to give us a little bit of um, a sort of an overview of of Northern Spirit? But we are open 10am to 4pm, one day a week, which we are trying to extend. At this moment in time, the building is known as Northern Causeway, 17 Wallace Green. We are trying to get things out there by social media as well, not only on the radio at this moment in time, but through the newspapers and also through a documentary that's been made for the Berwick 900 Festival. Um, hopefully we'll continue providing this for years to come and not only that but extending an outreach uh, service in Wooler where we offer um, computer courses we provide occasionally meals out to get people to connect with others in the community which a lot of them wouldn't do We try and do uh, at least two trips in the year. Like We have uh, small exercise classes occasionally, 
a lot of us have physical disabilities as well so we're hoping to be able to extend that but up to now we've found that you have to pay for a lot of these training courses we try to provide life skills such as first aid cooking safety in the home um, there's a little golf range there um, there's balls dominoes anything you could mention we sit and do it takes the focus off their own problems at the end of the day you know so just to wrap things up um let's return to this quote that the current services were outdated and not attractive to new referrals said a spokesman from mhm would you say that what you're offering now is in fact more up to date and more attractive than what was previously on offer. We tend to get people more involved than what they were before. They would just sit and chat. I mean, we still have that problem, which we don't really want. We want everybody to get involved in at least one activity throughout the day. Um, and that wasn't the case with MHM. If you weren't bothered, to, you know, if you couldn't be bothered to do something, you were just left to sit if we can focus the minds and get them to actually get involved not only in what we're doing here within the community we're not working just to sit here we're not trying to keep the building open just so people can sit and talk we want to get involved with other groups so do you have any closing remarks just before we wrap things up um, it would be good if the National Health Service again would get involved and provide a counsellor, even if it was for a limited time. So you'd be open to partnership working despite the yeah, letdowns that you've faced? Yes, we would still be open because we still need some form of service like that as well. But that's what the strength of peer support is all about. You're not held by targets. You're no, not we're held not by um, strict government standards and uh, distant interventions. It is about people getting together, knowing their local community, knowing the individuals, and working together to decide between you what the best course of action is, how to best give that person a quality of life, how them themselves can take ownership and give themselves a better quality well, that's of life. A, that's what a lot of people need, is to be able to take ownership of their own life. I can say that we have had successes. Again, it's about helping them, not only with the mental health, but some physical aspects as well. Just get involved and see how we can help them, how we can support them. Okay. Well, I'll wrap it up there and I'll just say a huge thank you from our listeners at Mentally Sound on Gravity Northeast. Trevor Bird, you've been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Welcome back, guys. I'm just going to pause that song because we're going to be playing it uh, for the end of the show because we're a little bit pressed for time and I want to give people as much time as possible. But huge thank you. Uh, to Trevor from Northern Spirit. Uh, I did a, a quite quick correction. I said that the letters we were about to do are from Northern Spirit. That's wrong. It's from World 
was it World Mental Health Day? Did I get that right? Um, is it World Mental Health Day? Yeah. Okay. So I just want to let us know. Also, I've been given a note during the during the break to mention National Self Care Week, which is on the 16th uh, to the 22nd of November, which is next week. It is a uh, self care for life. Uh, it's an awareness program. It aims to help you understand that you can do better with your condition. Uh, it's like for existing long term issue type things. If you want more information, go on the NHS Choices website for more information. That's National Self Care. Week, so do do yourselves a favour and look after yourselves, eh? That's the best thing. But we have a guest, uh, so we're going to do a little talk with our brilliant, brilliant guest contributor to the show uh, to talk about his book and various other things. I did get given a, I, the notes I got given about you, Steve, was just a, a mile long. Oh, uh, but I will get to that in a sec. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to do some letters. So we're going to get pe- me, Sophie, and Steve to respond. But welcome, Steve, to the show. Hello, yeah, sir. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Steve. No worries. How are things since we last spoke to you, good sir? Uh, great. Um, trying new things as always, taking positive risks as I always do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that doesn't mean like you know. Oh, is that metro coming? Like, oh, don't, no. that's not positive risk. <laughs> I'll just give you an example. Um, uh-huh. I bumped into somebody and they've asked me to do a, a talk to the Royal Society for Social Work, and it's two hundred people. So that's nice. Another risk. I'm Are taking. you nervous? Do you have any anxiety? Well, or? I do get nervous, but I think that's what keeps us going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I know. Positive. You know, I know this is something we can go into, but just flipping com- comment is to say. Uh, as someone who believes in positive risk myself, you know, running a business like I do is that you have to take calculated positive risk Definitely. in order to prosper, basically. Um, and I think life's not worth doing unless you do that to some degree. So I totally agree. So we had to talk about your book. So uh, and you've got other things. Obviously, we can talk about other things as well. But just yeah. quickly, your book. What is it you're working on? Um, yes, I've self-published a book on Amazon, and it's called This One's for Vicky. And the reason it's called that is that's my daughter. The reason I wrote the book is, um, when I was ill, my daughter was adopted, and for 18 years I haven't seen her. Uh Now, I still haven't seen her, but um, I have a photograph, and I know where she's living now, so I'm hoping to make contact, and I've wrote this book, an autobiography, about all the bad times in my life, and if I do get to meet her, I'm just going to say that might answer some of your questions, but it's also therapy for me. Cool. So, that's that's interesting. So, it's kind of like... What you're touching on, is it sort of like, if it was a journal, it's almost like you're giving it to the daughter you're now yeah. hopefully going to know, and you can get, give her this book and go, instead of not just go, we getting to know each other, but he has what I went through as well. And, that's and, it. And yeah, that's, very, that's, that's int- very yeah. interesting. Uh, I, I haven't said that, though. It's almost like I'm, the first thing I thought when you said that is a bit like if I got a diary of myself and gave it to a future wife or something. <laughs> be like I, I read that recently, you know, with me turning 28. It's like I read my 16-year-old diary, and it's just full of... It's literally my two things I cared about was football scores and girls <laughs> were the two things but being 16 i guess that's a thing uh but yeah so how long did when did like originally you start writing that um well somebody at university when they heard me talking said you know you should write the book so i thought well why not write the book so now many I'm, people say that but very little do so yeah, congrats and, uh, it's taken about nine months i think to write and mm. now it's finally available and nice uh, on amazon you said yeah yeah on amazon Kindle, mm-hmm. yeah so what's it called what's it called uh, uh, this, this one, one's for vicky this wasn't it yeah. um so as i type it in amazon you'll find it that find it on amazon yeah, yeah. great excellent well, congrats uh just as something this is something i talk about on my podcast with independent publishing what's that like you know as a process would you um, say as a process i was beginning to think i would give up <laughs> it took nearly three days to get it uploaded uh-huh and a really complicated process. You had to go through America, mm-hmm. fill in IRS forms. Yeah. And then apparently, 
after 60 days you'll get a check you have mm-hmm. no idea what amount it is it'll just come in the post mm-hmm. no notification but that's the way is that works. basically how many it gets downloaded or something yeah, you get downloads, a percentage yeah. this is an agreement with amazon i'm assuming is it is yeah. It? yeah yeah that makes sense i know a little bit about it i've yeah. looked into it but it's nice to know from your perspective um cool have you ever thought about because you touched on whenever someone scores looks talks to someone so i was like you should write a book do you ever get asked that so uh, yeah i've been asked on a few occasions when i've done talks around the country um mm-hmm. And it's something I think I would pursue, but not just yet, because <laughs> I'm still at university know, and yeah, I'm busy, busy, you, busy. You need so. to live your life yourself, like, yeah. <laughs> but no, you can get there. I mean, is there any, do you ever have any ideas about, you know, because everyone always says, like, everyone's got a novel in them. Have you ever thought about writing a book not about yourself or anything like that, you know? I don't think I would write about myself anyway. <laughs> why, why not? You're an interesting catch. <laughs> no, I, I think I'd want to get a little bit more experience True, yeah, before yeah, I wrote yeah, about yeah. myself. Because, I mean, I've only been here 21 years. <laughs> so she I keeps mentioning have... that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good, though. Um, it's a bit like you reminded me of when Justin Bieber came out with an autobiography. I'm like, he hasn't even been on the planet. Like, hardly been on the planet. Like, you know, this is, I found that odd. But anyway. But so... Um, in a nutshell, what would you say to people who want to look to look at your book, Steve? What would what would you what? How would you justify it? Um, all it is, it's just a book about illness, bad times, and I'm writing another book called This One's for Vicky Two, which is all about recovery. <laughs> and it's just to prove a point to people that if you're ill, you can actually recover and lead a, no- a normal, in inverted uh-huh. commas, life. The, I've gotten over it and he has how kind of thing that's it yeah brilliant excellent well, I highly recommend people to check that out on Amazon and have a look but we're going to do some letters from World Mental Health Day we've we've set aside a few we're going to read some and do some quick comments and then we're done for, for show nine which is kind of cool uh, so Sophie um, and I have been sort of working on what we're going to read so Sophie uh, she's going to do a radio voice apparently which is going to be fun so fire away Soph um, so the first one I'm going to read it says Dear mental health professional, some doctors and nurses don't give you respect. They think that if you cut your arm that it's your fault. Sometimes it's not avoidable. You, do, you don't do it for fun. Sometimes your heart aches so much you need to cut yourself to get the pain away. They think we do it for attention. Sometimes we do, but it's because we are desperate. We need attention. We need services. I want to live, but everything I'm going through hurts so much that sometimes I just want to die. I need help. I need respect and I need understanding. Yours faithfully, a mental health service user. Wow, how powerful. Um, something I totally resonate with. Um, you know, These are all um, obviously anonymous, we should mention. So uh, there's another one here that I'll read. Uh, Dear mental health professionals, due to government's cuts, mental health services have been hit hard. Having been in mental services all my adult life, there is an absence of aftercare once discharged from CMHT. In times of crisis, there's only your GP to go to who who help. GPs have limited means of helping in these situations. CMHT have continued to be unhelpful, rejecting current referrals due to government cuts. Being someone with serious mental health problems, I feel let down by the system, left to try and fend for myself, which in terms of crisis is very difficult. Again, incredibly powerful. That's something, you know, just as a quick reaction to that, um, that's something... uh, GPs just want to make a quick quick... Uh, point about people go to gps and assume that you're going to come up with a a solution that's going to help you and and be the solution to all your problems the problem with the system is when you go to a gp their their role is to give you a diagnosis that's otherwise they're regarded as a failure so if you go there and they're not sure what to tell you they give you one anyway which is why i i think 
from from what I've seen in surveys and whatnot, is the reason why we're overdiagnosing depression. Because when people go there and say, I'm feeling down or whatnot, a GP will go, it sounds like you're depressed. Here are these antidepressants. That has such a detrimental effect because if someone hasn't got depression and you give them antidepressants, that leads to more problems. So the problem is a GP is your first port of call. It isn't the solution. So, you know, I think GPs get a bad rap because they're, they're not people aren't aware. And I'm fortunate enough because my GP actually helped me through the NHS, which is something I'm not going to say whose name is and all that kind of thing. But, yeah, that, that was something that I feel GPs get a bad rap for. Sophia? Yeah, I was just going to point out that, yeah, doctors are there to kind of diagnose, but at the end of the day, we kind of are the solution as well. We can help mm-hmm. ourselves to get better. We can self-recover. Mm-hmm. But yes, you can have tablets. Yes, you can have therapy. But at the end of the day, you've got to put the work in. But as the letter you read earlier, it, it, you need... Oh, occasional yeah, of course. You push, need prof- oh, the support, yes, of course, the care. Yes. And as we were touching on, this was in actually one of the breaks which we should bring up, being considerate of other people and just asking, are you okay? Which is what Richard said in his yeah. segment of, you know, uh, the, the, when I was feeling particularly bad and like Ricky, Ricky from this show uh, sent me a message. I know Gareth said it in an email. hope you're all right. It's that that really does help when you've just got someone going, if I'm feeling awful and you hear someone go, just checking on you to see if you're all right, that really does help because you're like, oh, someone wants me to pull through it. Because if you're in a depressed state, you feel like you don't want anyone to, to help you or whatever, which it, and that's a horrible place to be in. You want to say something, Steve? Yeah, I'd just like to chip in there. I would just like to say, well, my recovery, I was in services for quite a lot of my life and I didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think the time's got to be right for that person to want to recover themselves before they even begin to recover. That was just oh, yeah, definitely. I completely agree. Right, we're pressed for time, but so we'll not read any more. But um, is there a place, I know, Gareth, uh, Gareth, is there a place where anyone can read these letters or did we get given them? Do you have the top of your head? I sent them. Okay, well, just they're fascinating. We've read a bunch of them. There's like 10 of them, but it kind of showcases the, the silence that the, the, the people who are, you know, being made to be silent because they've got nowhere to air their voice. So we think it's really useful that we do that. And uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Steve, for coming yes, in. Thank you thank for... You so um, I'm glad to give you some time. I uh, hope thank the you. book goes well. Good luck with the second one. Let us know. Thank you very much. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're done. Uh, just, as I say, just a quick, quick reminders. I'll go through the promos just quickly before we leave. Um, just to let people know, Tuesday, 8th of December, stuff and nonsense Christmas extravaganza with Sharon Race by Launchpad. We have the National Self Care Week, which is the 16th to 27th, 22nd of November. Uh, check out NHS Choices website for more information. And uh, there's a brand new mental health website, not just for men, but it's www.mentelhealth.org. Have a look at that. And a shameless plug for me as well. I went to MCM London and interviewed a bunch of cool people on my podcast, so I recommend people check that out. I talked to bunch of cool people i just wanted to plug that because it's like one of the best things i've ever done and sophie anything you want to plug yeah i might as well plug my twitter as well yeah go for it yeah go i might it. as well it's sophie underscore dishman and you can follow my journey um with my mental health but you can also catch up on what i'm doing at university mm-hmm. as well and mm-hmm. my blog but that's on Twitter. Cool. So. And as we said, if you want to get in t- contact with us, it's at underscore mentally sound and mentally sound radio at gmail.com. And we have Facebook as well, which yes, is mentally Facebook. sound. Yeah, it's just because I'm not on Facebook. I keep forgetting to mention you. Yeah, we're on Facebook as well. So please do uh, let us know. What was the question that does only pl- mention the question at the end? What was the question about anxiety? Is anxiety and this thing that Lexi said? Oh, I, I think it was, it was something now. around 
does depression or anxiety are they do they come intermingling in, yeah are they yeah, or, yeah. or are they separate yeah something yeah. along those lines uh, which is interesting so if you've got an answer to that about anxiety is anxiety and depression interlinked is it are they connected or are they separate or do they you know combat each other let us do let us know uh, you can always check out the podcast if you can't remember yes yes check out the podcast with lexi as well we're done Thank you to everyone at Show 9. Huge thank you to Richard, Steve, Sophie, Gareth, Victoria, everyone behind the scenes for helping out. Everyone here with Gravity, thank you so much. And uh, we'll finish off by playing the Paramore song from earlier. This is Ignorance. Great. This is the acoustic version they did on uh, BBC Radio, which they then released as a single. Fantastic, fantastic song. Great way to end the show. Thank you so much. This has been Show 9. I've been Stephen Hesse. Thank you, Sophie. And thank you, thank everyone. You. And we'll be back very soon for next month's December issue. Until then, have a nice November.